When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, guys. Uh, thanks for being with us for the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, we are excited to continue in a, in a relatively new series. Uh, we just started it um, two weeks ago. This will be session three as uh, we'll be walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and director of uh, themanchurch.com. A lot of things going on uh, with themanchurch.com, but I know for this Wednesday Bible Study, we have women uh, that watch this too, so uh, you guys get excited every time my wife Sherry actually goes out and speak, whether we go together or she goes on her own. And there's a ladies' night that's coming up on September the 12th. Uh, that'll be a Sunday night, uh, and it'll be coming up in Leeds, Alabama, for those of you in the Birmingham, Alabama area, and she'll be there for ladies' night. If you want to get those details, go to BurgessMinistries.com. Uh, look under Upcoming Events. You'll see September the 12th. It'll be a great opportunity for you to go out and get a chance to hear Sherry speak. Now, for the guys, we also have a lot going on. Uh, September the 12th, I'll be speaking at West Mobile Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama. That's a man church. We'll be kicking off the men's discipleship strategy. Uh, if you're uh, watching this or listening to this and you're anywhere near Waco, Texas, uh, I'll be going over uh, for the Legacy Outfitters Fishers of Men banquet on September the 13th, the very next day. So Waco, Texas, looking forward to seeing you. September 16th, Fairhope, Alabama at Fairhope Baptist Church. We'll be doing a man church there on the 16th of September. Uh, our very own Michael Helms, Helmsy from the Rick and Bubba Show. He also works with themanchurch.com. He'll be speaking at First Baptist Church, Opelika, Alabama. They're in year two. Uh, they've done one full 40-week curriculum. Uh, they're now moving uh, uh, maybe about halfway through the second uh, curriculum, and uh, that'll be their next man church with Helmsy on the 23rd of September. Uh, I'll be speaking in Birmingham that same night. We've been trying to kick off the men's discipleship strategy at Lakeside Baptist Church in Birmingham for over two years now. Uh, with this pandemic and all the cancellations, we're going to try it again on September the 23rd. Also on September the 26th, Chipley, Florida. I'll be there at First Baptist Church, Chipley, uh, speaking to those men. Uh, if you're looking uh, for anything to do with uh, the Man Church and other speakers, I mean, we've got... Uh, guys going out, uh, Andy Blanks will be kicking off the men's discipleship strategy on September the 15th at Landmark Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, also, uh, uh, Todd Jones uh, will be speaking at Winfield Baptist Church. This is their second man church. Uh, they've kicked off the strategy, Winfield, Alabama, September the 19th. Uh, and then uh, Brian Gunn uh, will be at Crossroads in Warrior, Alabama. He'll be kicking out, doing their next man church. I think that's their third one. Uh, that'll be coming up on October the 10th. You can find everything. If I'm involved in it, meaning I'm speaking or my wife is speaking, BurgessMinistries.com under uh, events. If you're looking for any of the men going out doing things with man churches all over the country, just go to themanchurch.com, click on uh, upcoming events, and you can click right there for a man church near you, and I hope you'll make plans to join us. So let's pray, and let's jump right in to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for you and the power that you have in you alone to turn us into the people that only you can accomplish. Your grace and your mercy, may we never abuse it, but be thankful for it. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Uh, this is chapter 3. He, uh, uh, he just finished. Now you're going to see him get into something that he actually brought back up uh, in, uh, in chapter 1. Uh, but we're, he, he really unpacks it here. Now, if you look back at the, at the last thing we talked about last week, uh, the last verse he said in chapter 2. Now, remember, when these letters were written, they didn't have chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We did that uh, when we began to take the Bible, interpret it into the different languages uh, with the canon. We, we turned these chapters and put them together so it would be easier for us to study them and to understand. So when you, when you, you have a letter that's being written to a church like this, you really need to keep in mind that this, this letter just keeps on rolling. Uh, so when you see things like therefore, but, uh, but God. So anyway, he just finished saying last week, for 
who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. You remember us saying that as we ended last week? If you missed that, we did. Meaning, we've been given the ability to hear from God because now, because of the redemption uh, in Christ, and now whoever we are, we are now that in Christ. Because of the power of Christ, we now have the ability to understand. And then he says, but, starting three, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Uh, he said, I fed you with milk, not solid food, but uh, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, remember this, he's back to this, he's really upset about this. One says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Apollos, uh, are you not being merely human? So let's un unpack those first four verses. See, he says quite a bit here. But it gives you an idea of the situation, doesn't it? So he's saying there's, there's really two kinds of people. Okay, there, there, there's, there's, there's two kinds of people. He said there's, there's the natural man, and that is the unredeemed. That means he, he or she is only flesh. There is nothing else. Uh, because of the original sin of Adam, we get to the age of, of accountability when we can reason between our right hand and our left. We can reason right or wrong. Then, then here we are in a sin state. We are in a, a fallen flesh, uh, and, and we have a dead spirit. And then Paul says, but then there's another kind of, of person. That is the spiritual. Uh, and the spiritual, that's, that's the person that has been redeemed. Why, why would he call that person spiritual? Because until we're redeemed by Jesus Christ, we are still in the sin state, which means our spirit is dead, and we know that what sin ultimately leads to eternal death, meaning the flesh is going to die. Remember how many times we've talked about this? We're in one or two categories. Uh, we're gonna, our flesh is going to die before Jesus returns, and we'll stand before God, and we're going to talk about something really deep in I think verses 12 through 16 today about that moment. But then, uh, or we're gonna, we're, we're gonna, our earthly body is going to die. Uh, I don't know how to break this to all of you uh, as far as your flesh is concerned. I'm not talking about your spirit. But as far as the flesh is concerned, death is undefeated. Okay? Uh, and and there, there's only been one, one person that ever walked this planet that everybody saw him die, and then he walked back out three days later and said, Hey, by the way, I'm back. Okay? You had Lazarus, and he needed Jesus too. But remember what I've always told you about Lazarus. He just died again. Okay? So the, the miracle wasn't Jesus bringing Lazarus' earthly body back to life. That was the miracle, but that wasn't what he was teaching because if that's what he was teaching, teaching when Lazarus got sick or whatever happened to him and he died again, Jesus would have showed up again and said, I just ain't let this guy die. Uh, we know that he didn't go get John the Baptist when he was getting beheaded. He didn't stop the stoning of Stephen. Stephen. So he didn't run around keeping everybody from dying. He did that that time and he did some other times for no other reason than to show us that he was who he said he was. I do have the ability to, to I have authority over death. And Paul will tell us when we get to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll all be in here celebrating and shouting and jumping because you know what Paul's going to be saying then, oh, death, where's your sting? Hey, Jesus beat you, okay? So our body may die, but our spirit is, is alive and it will live forever. So I want you to understand, and I've said this a thousand times, we really need to be focusing on what's going to happen to us when one of the two things happen, and one of two things will happen to every single person within the sound of my voice or in this room. You will face Jesus on his return, meaning he's allowed you to still be alive when he comes back. By the way, that'll be an active day, okay? And, and Or you're going to die your earthly death, and when that happens, your spirit's going to face him too. One of those two things is going to happen to everybody. I hope you understand that. There's no third option. So you would think we would probably live our life expecting one of those two things to happen because it's going to. Okay? So he's saying, so he, he puts us in those two categories. He said, we got, we, we got, the, and then he said, then inside the two categories, and this is what we really need to focus on today. He said, inside the two categories of the redeemed and the dead, the live and the dead, the spiritual and the natural, now a sub a subgroup comes inside that, which is also two categories. And what did he say? That is the spiritual, I mean the mature and the immature. 
And, and this is the thing that has baffled me for the longest. And Paul's frustrated about it here too. The writer of Hebrews really gets upset about it. Is I don't understand for the life of me, especially in men's ministry, because you know I, I am a man, so I understand how men reason and think. And most men will claim, even if they don't, that they have this great commitment to excellence, and they'll demand excellence. And they usually don't want to be perceived as a child. Usually it bothers them, except spiritually. And I've never understood that. Men just say, well, I'll just stay a spiritual child forever, and I'm not embarrassed by that. It doesn't bother me that people ask me about Scripture, and I don't know. It doesn't bother me that my wife wants to know something scripturally that I don't know. Now, you wouldn't dare be caught not knowing and being knowledgeable about the things in your life you've deemed of value. But for some reason... And, and I'm going to tell you the dangerous, and he's going to talk about this. There's a very, very dangerous theology that Rick Burgess once ad, uh, uh, adopted, and praise the Lord, uh, a, a grown man rattled me out of it, and then the Holy Spirit convicted me, is I tried to walk that line that said, well, look, you may think I'm stupid, but I'm not stupid enough to want to go to hell. And I believed in hell, and I believed the gospel, just, just like the demons do, as I've told you, but what I tried to do is I wanted to go up there and said, look, I don't want to be some expert on this. I certainly don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to be really someone real involved in a church or anything like that. But Jesus, I hope I've done enough that you don't send me to hell. Well, let me tell you something. That's a very dangerous theology. Because what I discovered was that's not really any version of Christianity at all. That's being delusional. That's being lost because what you're now saying is somehow you can encounter Jesus Christ and you can, you can have the Holy Spirit come into your dead spirit and make it alive, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and you as a man or you as a woman says, but I can be honest with you, it just really didn't change me. And I don't really have a desire for it. I'm not hungry for it. I'm not thirsty for it. Really, this is a pretty mediocre experience. So I'm just going to ease on back the way my life was. I'm going to do all the things everybody else has done. I, I'm going to be perpetually an infant when it comes to my spiritual faith. But hopefully, I've done enough that I have redeemed. I have been redeemed by Jesus. Not so much that I'm excited about it or that I I want to know more about it. But I think that maybe I just got just enough that uh, that I won't go to hell when I die. But honestly, my desires and my behavior have been altered very little, if any. And the Paul's talking about. It. And, 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 he, and he is saying that there's the mature and there's the immature inside the faith. He goes, now the mature follower of Jesus, that person is always focused and thinking about things in the spiritual. They're, they're, they're heaven focused. If you get around them, they really would rather talk about that than anything else. I have found this, guys. I'm going to tell you this. And for some of y'all, I'm going to become undesirable to you. Okay. Because as, as I continue to be sanctified and I continue to grow in my faith, I am finding myself becoming not just unenthused about things of the world, but bored. To sit around and talk about football bores me to tears now. Now, if you want to talk about it for a few minutes, but to obsess over this and, and be, be online checking about what high school kids are doing, I mean, I can't even imagine spending my time doing that anymore. I mean, I find sitting around, my gosh, we're going to talk, tell me we're not going to talk about politics again today. I mean, I, I know that it's, it's important and I'm, we need to participate. I'm thankful we get to have a say in it and all this, but I can't find anything that is a topic that's more important to me. Or enthused, I sit on this show now, guys, and man, I'm just doing what I got to do to get the opportunity here when it's appropriate to talk about Jesus. And when that comes up, buddy, I come alive. And maybe it's because all eternity is tied to it. Could be that. But, I mean, it's it just, it, it just I, there's nothing more important than this. I mean, th this is what God has said about himself for us to know and our whole eternity and redemption and, and, and how to truly live life is all here. You think Tony Robbins has anything to tell me? Tony Robbins? Tony Robbins is charging some of y'all thousands of dollars to tell you something your mama should have told you. Set goals? Are you kidding me? Figure out what you want to do? 
Tony Robbins has to tell you that? I mean, I mean he, he's charging you a lot of money to tell you stuff you should just know on your own. But I'll tell you one thing. Now, you won't value this right here. Hey, let me tell you, this right here, and, and man, it's a lot more important than, let, let, me, when, let me tell you, this is where it's at. And so what he's saying is, and I haven't always been that way. It's a supernatural thing that I'm that way. Don't think that was something that came to me naturally because it didn't. It came to me supernaturally. And, and, it, and it did not come immediately. So if it hadn't come to you immediately, that's okay. You keep, on, you keep on seeking him, okay? Things like we're doing in here, that's the kind of stuff that starts igniting it and growing. And so Paul has come back and he says, I've got some really immature people in this church. And he says, here's some of the things that I want you to know that I see that are marks of maturity. That's important. This is right now in the room, everybody go, I'm listening. And you know what it is? Milk versus meat. He's using a food analogy, which thankfully I can relate to. Uh, and what he's saying is, why are you people in this church satisfied with no meat? You just want milk. That, that's what babies want. You don't want more than milk? And he says, I can't take you on to solid food because you don't have any desire for it. You, you can't handle it. He said, I keep having it. And the writer of Hebrews says, some of y'all should be teachers by now. But I have to come in here and teach you these basic oracles of God over and over again because you won't grow up spiritually. And he's frustrated. He goes, that's why we see so much sin. That's why the world is creeping back into this church that sits in the middle of the sin city he said, sin is creeping back in here because you people won't move on to spiritual maturity. You, he said, I, I, I'm having to feed you milk. And he says this, so what does it look like to be immature and only desire milk? He says, one sign is, if you're immature in the faith, you know some facts about the faith. You know some facts. You know the basic concepts of, of, of the gospel. This was me. I, I was this guy. But you don't know much about uh, the truth. You, you, don't know, you know very little. Uh, uh, you, you know the facts about Jesus came and, and he took on flesh and he died. You kind of got that down. But you have no clue what he's currently doing. None. All you know is a few basic facts about historic things, the, the history of the gospel. But dialing in to what Christ is currently doing back in his proper place in his current ministry you, you have no clue of that. You, you, you don't have any concept of being in His will. You don't have a really desire to be in His will. You're not out looking at your life saying, where is the opportunity? Where is Christ taking me? What does the disciple of Christ do? Where am I going? What is my role? Where is He? Where is He moving? I, I have a desire to tell people about Christ. I want to go do what He's doing. I want to be part of what He's doing. I, want to, I just don't want to know historically what he's done. I want to be part of what he's doing. And see, the immature one doesn't want that. You know what you have? Great example. you got Bible stories, but you don't have Bible doctrine. I mean, you sit around like a little child with his little Bible story book, and you, and you, you, you still got a cartoon of Noah's Ark in your house, but you have no idea that Noah's Ark actually represents Jesus you got no idea that this concept that everybody who gets in the ark will be spared God's wrath and those that don't get in the ark are going to be destroyed by God's wrath. You haven't taken the time to know that. It's a Bible story to you. It's not a historical event that is pointing to the gospel. The entire Bible is about Jesus. The entire thing. And so you know Bible stories, but you don't know Bible doctrine. And, and you know, he says, because you have to remember this, when, when, um, when, when Romans was, was written, this is, this is so good, and when this book is written, these letters that we're studying in the Bible, so this is something we can all learn today. They're not written to tell people how to be saved. Now, there's some parts in, like Romans 10, 9, and 10, where you see the gospel being laid out, but that's not the purpose of the letter. These letters were not written to show people how to be saved. That was a given. These letters were actually written to explain what their salvation really meant and the deep things of God and how those things would apply to now their daily life. These letters weren't written to say, hey, Jesus did this, Jesus did this, and you need to be saved. They already knew that. These are letters to the church. These letters were written to people who claimed they were already redeemed. 
So they knew the understand the, the basics of the gospel. What I think you ought to love as men in this room or men and women who are listening to this or watching this, if you've already been redeemed, guess what? This is to tell you what the plan is. Now what? And I think that's where we've really messed up in the Western church. We treat redemption like it's the end. Hey, baby, that's the beginning. That's the be- And this says, you know, if you, if, you know what this says? It answers the question. You say, okay, I, I've repented of my sins. I've submitted to the authority of Christ. Uh, I, I am seeking the Lord. I, what, what now? And you know what the Bible says? This is what's next. This is everything, this is everything you need to know. So, so, so the mature follower of Jesus looks at the Bible not as Bible stories, but as deep doctrine and exactly what we are supposed to be doing. So then he goes into this next thing, because you know what he's saying. That, this is why he get, gets this last part about, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. The things he's saying right there, guys, you know what he's saying? That's the attitude of a baby. Y'all sound like a bunch of babies. Are y'all really sitting around like little fighting children on the playground talking about what human being appeals to you? Who you'd rather hear teach, who you'd rather hear preach, who you wish you could go see, whose book you want to go get? What, do you want an autograph from us? He said, that's the attitude of a child. He goes, we're nothing but human beings. He goes, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Talking about himself. He goes, we are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each of us. That's, that's coming up in verse 5. He, in the back in verse 4, he says, if you say you follow Paul and another says you follow Apollos, you are, you're just being merely human. You know what he says? That's not the attitude of the redeemed. That's a child. And man, we see this all the time, don't we? How many times? I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's anything more awkward than church and celebrity trying to mix itself together. It is ugly. And it's embarrassing. But see, that's back to that human attitude. We want to worship people. You know, the way we act about celebrities is embarrassing. I mean, it, it really, and I'm, I'm, I've done it. I've grown up. I'm like, you realize the other day, we shut the whole world down because an 80-year-old man died who played drums. Here comes another tribute about this guy who played drums. A tribute? We're spending hours on end. Oh, what an impact on society, his drum playing. He and some other guys made songs that had great melodies and tunes. We must stop the world. A drummer is dead. Now, if we want to look at the fact that the way they live their lives, they're, they're all still in their late 70s, and he made it all the way to 80, that's something worth marveling over. But, 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 but somewhere, as we're clapping about a drummer, there's a nameless man and woman of God that's advancing the kingdom of God in a place that you and I don't even know about. And if they died today, we'd never give it a second thought. So what he's saying is, we can't have the attitude of acting like the world. And one of the ways we act like the world is you're trying to worship the actual teachers. And we do that. Look, you ever sit around with somebody and they talk about their church and they talk about their pastor's name more than they talk about Jesus? I'll say, say their pastor's name is, I got to be careful what I say here. Uh, what's, a, what's an outland? It's a feel. I don't know where I went with feel. I don't know why I went with feel. I don't know a feel. All right. It's, that's a random name I'm grabbing. And you sit down with them, and they're saying, well, you know, Phil said. And, well, I'll tell you what Phil says. And, and Phil says this, and Phil says that, and, you know, it's Phil's birthday. And then there's Phil, and Phil's book, and Phil's that, and Phil said. And, uh, and you think, did you ever mention Jesus? You're, you're, you're not, you're not, you weren't redeemed by Phil. And this is what Paul's saying. No, you're redeemed by Jesus. All we were were his servants, and we're trying to point you uh, to Jesus in verse 5. Now let's look at uh, verse 6, and, and we'll go through verse uh, 9a here. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. What is he saying? Hey, we just did what he told us to do, but we didn't have anything to do with your redemption. And then he says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Verse 9a, for we are God's fellows workers. 
So now he, he's using, and Paul does this a lot, uh, he loved, he's very fond of agricultural images. Why? That's the people he's talking to. They, a lot of them, they're farmers. They, they, and so these analogies they would get. And, and so the bottom line with this is Paul is saying, and we need to get this, emphasis must always be on God, not the laborers. Okay? There's nothing going to be done by any human being that's going to have eternal impact if God doesn't make it happen. Okay? And, and, and like you heard me say a couple of weeks ago, we, including Rick Burgess, I bring nothing to the table. Nothing. I don't make God more holy. I don't make God better. He makes me holy. He makes me better. There's nothing that I can bring to God. That he says, well, I'll tell you one thing. That Rick Burgess made me even a bigger deal today. He doesn't need me. As a matter of fact, the things that he allows me to be part of, I, I've told you all this before, I doubt very seriously, and God has made this pretty clear to me, I wasn't even his first choice. There's, there's many more gifted teachers and speakers and communicators than me. Ten times more gifted than me. They just weren't willing to do it. They, 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 didn't, they didn't say, okay, I'll do whatever you want me to do. The only thing good about a, a, a disciple of Jesus is Jesus. But he can use anybody. He didn't need me. I mean, he, he made that clear to me. I got full of myself one time thinking I was going to save the day about a, a, a pastor that had fallen uh, in a moral compromise, and, and I was asked to come and fill in after the dates that he was speaking at had to be canceled. And I thought to myself, well, here I come to save the day, stepping in for this fallen person. And on the way there, I came under so much conviction and the Lord said is clear in that automobile, you do realize the guy who fell is more gifted than you. You can't even preach as well as he preaches. These people are about to hear an inferior message because you're not as gifted as he is. And if you go up there without me, you're going to make a fool of yourself. So why don't you just say what I tell you to say and maybe let me get the glory because they need me. They don't need you. And I thought, Roger that. And I will submit to your authority, and let's hear what you have to say. So this is the point Paul's trying to make. Quit spending so much time on the workers and focus on who we're all working for. The emphasis, the emphasis is on God. And let me tell you something throughout Scripture. Let me tell you what God won't do. He's not going to share his glory with anybody. We've seen that throughout Scripture, right? He, he doesn't like to be mocked. He only puts up with that for a period of time. Thank goodness he's long-suffering, and he does not share his glory. And if you don't believe that, how many more headlines you got to read about somebody tried to share his glory, and he said, that's not going to happen. Okay, so we need to remember that. So what he's saying is this. This is another thing. So we are only servants following our assigned task. Look to who for the harvest? Just like, you know, we had some stuff that we did over the weekend, uh, and we saw some great things. But you know why we saw some great things? Because of God. Not because that we all did such a good job and deserve to be applauded. What we need to do is say, wow, look at God move. Look at him move in spite of us, <laughs> not because of us. So what are other things that he said? He said, look, Apollos uh, planted. He, I mean, he watered, uh, but God gave the growth. He said, I planted, Apollos came along, and he watered. Now, this is important for everybody in this room. Let, let me say this, and all of you that are watching and listening, would you like to know, when it comes to the kingdom of God, how many people who have been redeemed by God have been given the assignment by God to do nothing? That's zero. There's a lot of different calls, which is what Paul's talking about. But let me tell you a call that does not exist to the redeemed, the call to do nothing. So what do you think God's calling you to do? Nothing. So what's your gift? Zero. Uh, what do you plan on doing in the kingdom? Not a thing. I believe that's what God would have me do, not one thing. I think I'm just supposed to sit here and take. Uh, I'm not supposed to do anything. I think people should provide lessons for me. I think people should provide a Wednesday night dinner for me. I think people should provide uh, a very clean place to go worship. Uh, people should clean up after me. Uh, people should do all, people should go on mission trips. I ain't going. Uh, so I just want to sit here in the kingdom and I would just like to do nothing. I'm redeemed. I'm not going to hell, and that's good enough for me. 
the rest of y'all go do what God's called y'all to do in the diversity of the kingdom. My spiritual gift is nothing. That does not exist. But don't get caught up on trying to be somebody else. So that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, Apollos, he had his job. I had my job. And I think we get that problem sometimes. And I always try to let people know this. I let my children know this. I let my coworkers know this. I let you know this. The things that God's calling me to doesn't mean he's calling you to them. But he's calling you to something. I don't know what that is. But you need to find out and do it. And it may, man, some of the most powerful people in the kingdom of God are those who had gifts of, uh, have a servant's heart. They always want to serve. They always want to help. They always want to provide something. Hospitality, encouragement. I mean, all these things matter. Uh, you know, Stephen, when Stephen's sitting there getting stoned, you know what his job was? The food pantry. Here's this powerful man of God that's full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power, full of faith. His role in the kingdom of God was not even as a teacher. He was supposed to be sure that the widows got food that we provided for them. That was his job. He didn't look at that as beneath him. He looked at that as an incredible opportunity to be part of the kingdom. So he's, there's diversity of ministry, but here's the key we got to get to, this competitive stuff. There's diversity in ministry, but there's always unity of purpose. We all don't have different purposes. We may have different ministries, but we're unified on what? We're advancing the kingdom of God. We're unified on who God is. We're unified on who Jesus is. We're all on the same page. And then the other thing that we're all called to what? Is humility of the Spirit. What does that mean? Humility of the Spirit. This is exactly what it means. You don't just say that all ministries are important. You actually sincerely mean it. You know it's the right thing to say, but do you mean it? Everything matters, but deep down you're like, not as much as I matter. But No, humility of the Spirit. The great Adrian Rogers says something that I think is so, so true, and we've all seen it. The only thing more nauseating than arrogance is false humility. Oh, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Don't bring, any, don't bring any attention to me, which means everybody please give me some attention, okay? You know what I did yesterday with all those people that came to Christ and that message that I rolled out that I worked on for a month and a half? That's not why I did it. Not for your applause. Let's face it. I'm just an example of God's grace. And you're like, I noticed you let us know everything you did while telling us you didn't care that we knew it. You know what I mean? And uh, you ever had that guy? I actually watched. I actually saw a guy do a testimony one time. It was most nauseating. <laughs> no offense, but it came from the sports world. You know, you already know you're in trouble there. Here's somebody who's going to awkwardly try to take their sports stories and force scripture down on them. Uh, but anyway, so this guy literally went through every accomplishment he'd ever had in athletics. And after each one, he would tell us, but that's not, that's not the most important thing that ever happened to me. When I led my team in receiving, that was not the most important thing that had to me. When I became a coach and won that high school championship, well, I actually won four. But that was not the most important thing. That, and he listed every accomplishment he ever had while telling us that was not the most important thing in his life. And then finally at the end, the most important thing in my life was when I got saved, when I gave my life to Jesus. Well, why don't you just tell us about that? Then? Why did we have to hear all the other stuff? Because he wanted to make sure we knew it. So was that true humility? Or was that false humility? No, it was false humility. Because he made sure we knew it by telling us it didn't mean anything to him. And uh, so, so this is the kind of stuff that we have to remember. We need to, to have a humility of the Spirit, meaning all ministry is important, not just ours. And our, what we're doing for the kingdom is not more important than what somebody else is doing for the kingdom. Don't ever assume that. Uh, and then, so the next one, we'll start in now at, at, at 9B, and he's, and he's going to start talking about God's church. Look what he says in 9b. That's the second part of verse 9. You are God's field, God's building. So he's now saying, you've heard this before, what, what is the church? Is it a building or is it the people? It's the people. Okay, and we've heard that before. But, but Paul is really driving that home, and, and, and he goes on to say this, according to the grace of God given to me, 
like a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He said, hey, if you're building this on anything other than Jesus, if you're building this on man-made theology, if you're building this on celebrity of man, you are building, if you're building it on how wonderful the architecture looks, nothing wrong with the, I don't know if you've seen what God laid out for the temple to, to Solomon, but it, it was not a shack. Okay, there's nothing wrong. And this is that thing you get about humility again. And, and I learned this from a dear friend, and he's right. You can be arrogant, talking about a church of, of people. People in a church can be arrogant about their facilities. They can be. But don't ever miss how human beings are. People can also be just as arrogant about their lack of facilities. Well, we're really a true church because, you know, we don't have all the big buildings. We meet in a basketball gym. That makes us somehow above those that have facilities. No, it's really not true. If we really don't believe that the building matters, then the building doesn't matter whether it's impressive or not impressive. It doesn't matter, period. It's the people. And I will tell you this, that some churches, uh, I have been in churches of every size you can imagine. And I've been in dead churches that were wealthy, and I've been in dead churches that were poor. I've been in dead churches that were somewhere in between, and I've been on, in powerful churches that were somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. The fact that a church is large doesn't mean people aren't holy. And how about this? The fact that a church is tiny doesn't mean it's holy either. Uh, it's just whether or not the God is moving there or not, period. It's kind of like the thing with the suit. I don't know what it is about us the way we are as human beings. At one time, people who wore suits looked down on people who came in with, you know, dressed more casual. But then what happened to the casual dressing church? Now we've become sanctimonious about our casualness. Now people in suits are not as holy as we are because they're stuffy. No, that's not true. Some of the most devout men of God I've ever met wear a suit every Sunday, and some of the most devout men I've ever met don't. It really is not an indicator of their faith whether they dress up or not. So drop all that. If you didn't like people looking down on you because you had, didn't have a tie on, then you don't look down on him because he's got one on. That's not an indicator of how strong or he or she is spiritually. It doesn't matter if they dress up or they don't. If it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter either way. But see, that's how we always are. It's the way we're doing it is superior to the sun. We somehow have evolved ourselves into, you know, there's no, no, no response to the message anymore. That's so Acts 2. We, we, we've advanced. We, we don't do that here. When, when, why? And then what happens is if I don't do it, then, then somebody says we're not doing it right. But if I do it, then I'm not doing it right. See, it always becomes... An, Trust me, I get the emails all the time. I'm not doing anything right. That's fine. I'm going to go ahead and answer to God. And God has told me plenty of times I wasn't doing it right. But, but, and, and he's done it sometimes through people, but sometimes he just tells me himself. Um, so the bottom line is everything needs to be built on Jesus, period. The church is built on Jesus. And if Jesus isn't there, it's one of the most misunderstood. Well, I shouldn't say that. It, it, it's often misunderstood. And there's nothing wrong uh, in, in the Revelation. And I know some of you want us to go through the Revelation here on the Wednesday Bible study, and that's coming. I'm preparing for that. We're going to do that. Uh, that I'm not, I'm, I have been dodging it, but I'm not going to keep dodging it because God's told me we're going to do it. But i got to get ready for that. So, so anyway, at the church at Laodicea, which we compare the modern church to an awful lot, especially if the church is wealthy. Well, in this particular thing, and it's not an indicator on whether they're wealthy or not wealthy, it says the problem with the church at Laodicea and the revelation is not that they're wealthy, is that they're delusional about who they really are. They think they've got their act together, but they don't. Uh, they think they're so wonderful when they're really wretched. And so Jesus says what? And we've heard this many times. I stand at the door and I knock. Well, that's been preached many times as a gospel message, which that's fine because it's a good analogy. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is y'all are having church right now, and I'm not in there. This version of church y'all were doing, I'm not even in the building. I'm not in the fellowship. I'm standing at the door of my church, and I'm knocking, and who's willing to admit that I'm not there and get up to the door and let me back into this fellowship and build this thing on me? You've built it on the things of the world. You haven't built it on me. That's really what the Revelation is saying, and so uh, Paul is making sure that we understand that. 
So, uh, so let's move on. Uh, the, the, next, the next verse is 12 through 17. About to get a little, now we're about to get a little deep. About to get a little deep here. 12 through 17. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. Stay with me. Don't drift. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Okay, you, you, you may be tracking with me now. Verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Okay, stay with That's a lot. What, what we're talking about now is if you're going to then build the church, we're not talking about physical stuff, even though he's using an analogy. Are you building the church, the people of the church, are you building it with the right materials? Do you have it right? Are you building it theologically sound? Are you preaching the right gospel? Are you discipling and becoming sanctified with the teachings being correct? In this church at Corinth, things were starting to happen that were not biblically sound. Everybody with me? This is really what he's talking about. So uh, uh, Warren uh, Wearsby, and, and some people say Wearsby, some say Wearsby, a great uh, theologian. He's got some great commentaries. If you're ever looking to kind of start commentary, meaning you're easing your way into it, and be careful of commentary, but some of it you, you have to kind of mature, like we're talking about, to be able to even understand what's going on. Warren Wearsby uh, is probably the, the best step into some good commentary that's kind of easy to understand but still is really deep. And then you can kind of work your way to the day Carsons and the John Phillips and, and some of those. I, this is kind of, this was my entry level into, and he's got some great books out there on the Be Wise series on, on every book of the Bible. That's a good one to have in your home for Bible studies and stuff if you ever want to do that. Some of the other can get a little heavy. But anyway, so here's what, uh, here's what Wearsby says. He says, if you look at what Paul is saying right here in verses 12 through 17, he said, Look back to the Proverbs, because remember, Paul, is, is, it was a devout Jewish man. So he knew the Proverbs. So, so in Proverbs, um, you, you see this said in the book of Proverbs, the wisdom of the Word of God. It's presented as this, a treasure to be sought, protected, and invested in daily life. So consider these passages. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding, for the merchandise of it, merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of. See if this sounds familiar for, from Corinthians. Silver, uh, and the gain thereof, fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and that's Proverbs three, thirteen through fifteen. So, so Paul knows this when he's writing this letter. Here's another one. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, meaning take my commandments and apply them, so thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. If thou Christ after knowledge, and lifteth up my voice for understanding, here it is again, if you seek her, meaning the, the, the commandments and the truth, as silver, and you search her for hidden treasures, thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord, and find knowledge. That's in Proverbs 2, 1-5. through 5. Is his analogy making more sense now? He's really talking about the Word of God. Be sure you're building this church on sound theology. Be sure you're building it with the right materials. Another one from Proverbs, receive my instruction and not silver. Knowledge rather than gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. You see he's obviously using this as the analogy here because um, uh, for, for, for the church. And keep in mind the word of God according to Paul right now, the materials that they're looking for is, is doctrine and the Word of God. And, and some of the things he says the Word of God is, what? It's food. He's already said it's seed. Uh, it's the materials for the temple. You better be in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching church. And what he's saying is, don't get away from that now, guys. We're letting stuff come in now. I don't know where this is coming from. This is, this is bad stuff from out here. It reminds me a lot of the epistle of 1 John, uh, when he's saying, look, the Gnostics have gotten in here and taught y'all something that's not true. This is not what I taught y'all. I was an eyewitness. I, I didn't teach y'all this. 
And the Gnostics were teaching that sin really didn't matter, live how you want to, there's no redeeming the flesh, da-da-da-da. So at Corinth, this is Paul saying, and I would say this to everybody, when people say, hey, I'm looking for a church, you know what I say? It better be Bible-believing, Bible-teaching. And if it's not, you don't want to be there. And if you ever hear something come out of that pulpit or in your small group that, that, that doesn't match up, but it goes back to my original statement, though, if you don't know the Word of God, you don't know the difference. I mean, you got to know. And then he says in verse 16 and 17 here, what does he say? He says, the Corinthians were trying to build their church by man's wisdom. Remember, this was a place full of philosophy, full of all. It would be like in modern day, you go into California, uh, you know, trying to go into Los Angeles, San Diego, New York City, uh, somewhere up in the Northeast, and to go in and start planting a church in a place that is, is all they really worship is, is, is knowledge uh, and, uh, and, and, and science, even though science, if you have it correct, correctly, is revealing God. But you know what I mean by that. And philosophies, and, and, and we, just, we just love all this art, and we love all this stuff. And, and he says, look, all this stuff's great if it's under the authority of God, but don't let this, don't let this TED Talk come into this church. Don't let, don't let the Rob Bell, who's become a universalist, all of a sudden become theology in here. Y'all are letting some of this creep in. So he says, be sure that you're not following man's wisdom. He said, that you need to make sure that when you, when you build this church, this church better be built on the wisdom from God, which is the wisdom from the Word. It better not be built on the wisdom of the world. And i got to tell you something. The Western church is letting this happen big time. And you better police it. You, you better police it. There's a lot of things that sound good. They're just not biblical. And, and that, that, that can be really, really dangerous. Verse 16 and 17, he says, don't defile God's temple by what? Using cheap material. Don't come in there and, and use cheap material. And uh, he says, what we build, um, it, he says, Paul's saying that each of us builds into the church what? What we build in our own lives. Because what's the church made of? People. So whatever we built in our own life, guess what? Guess what we bring? We bring that into church and everybody around it. But it, the church, you know, I say this about our country right now in a constitutional republic. I mean, you can get upset at the politicians all you want to, and there's a lot to be upset of. But in this country, our politicians only reflect the current state of us. The problem's not the politicians in this country. The problem's the people. And, and when, you go, when you go into a church, what happens is the problem always arises in that church from the people. Because I promise you, the, the Word of God's not a problem. Sometimes the pastor's not a problem. It's the people that are a problem. Because um, you, you're not going to do anything in a church if the people don't have it right. Veteran missionary to India, Amy Carmichael, used to say this. This is good. The work will never go deeper than we have gone ourselves. That's why Paul's frustrated. I can't give you guys solid food. You may have the best preacher in the world coming to your church. You may have a guy that, man, he is ready to teach you, but if you won't grow and you won't mature, he is going to be banging his head against the wall. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, I have to keep going over these same old things again because you can't get the basic stuff. I remember vividly when I first started going out and teaching, and well, I was preaching. I wasn't teaching much. And I didn't know very much about Scripture, and I was out there too soon and because I had a platform, and that platform can be great, but that platform a lot of times launches people out too quick. We've seen this happen so many times. Two words, Kanye West. So anyway, so, so, I, so I was out there, and, and I, I, didn't, I only knew one message, and it was how I was redeemed. And it was about submitting to the authority of Christ and, uh, and, and stop being under the authority of myself. And I really got bored with it. I, I was like, Lord, um, I'm ready for a new message. I've been preaching the same message for three years. And you know what I got from the Lord? And when you apply it, we'll move to another one. When you get it, I'll give you something else. You know, if you're not ready for anything else because you haven't got this yet. What I always tell people about studying the Bible, and they, oh, there's things about the Bible I just don't understand. Here's an idea. Apply all the things you do understand, then you can get to those. You, you got plenty of things to worry about before you ever get to that. 
And so, so go ahead and apply the things you do understand. Start working on them. And when we get those right, then he'll open up the rest of it to you. He's not going to give you something that you're not ready for yet. You're trying to go to 400 level, and you can't even get 100 level. But you, we got to get that right first, and that takes time. So the, remember what she said. We cannot advance the kingdom. We can't go any deeper with God's work than we're willing to go in our own individual lives. So we end up tearing down our own lives if we fail to build into the church the values that will last. We may look very successful to men, but the day shall declare it. On that day, some ministers will go up in smoke. And that's what Paul's talking about in this part about the fire. This part, I know, um, gets, gets a little difficult in, uh, in 16 and 17. Um, well, let's start in 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? What is he talking about this fire? I'll tell you what he's talking about here. Uh, and I, that when I was studying it this week, I went right there. I said, man, i got to figure this out right here. I, I think I kind of understand where he's going, but I want to know more. And what he is talking about here is, is the judgment seat. Remember, there's a mercy seat. That's where God's grace is poured out. But there's also a judgment seat. And in that judgment seat, the Scripture tells us that even those of us that have been redeemed, we will still face the judgment seat. And in that judgment seat, it clearly says, and he will give rewards, and he will take away based on how you lived when you were in the flesh. Meaning, I didn't miss anything. And he says, and some of these people have built a church that's got some areas that, were, that, that, that are not right, and they know it's not right. And there's going to be a day they'll stand before God, and everything they thought they had pulled off, he will burn and it will go up in smoke. He says, now they still will be saved. But the rewards that they receive will be taken away. They won't, they won't get them. Because it will be revealed that they, that they had things that they were doing that were not approved by God and it defiled God's church. And it did, it, it, it did not last at his burning refinement. He said, so you will be judged and the things that you did, you will be rewarded or you'll have things taken away. And I, and I can only read this, and, and I know some of us are going, look, man, what is, it, what is he saying? I'll tell you what he's saying. Even, even some of us that are redeemed, we're not going to live the same way that, that, that the heroes of the faith live. We, we, we all can come to Christ. Praise the Lord for that. And we're all equal at the foot of the cross. But if you think that, uh, that if you, you decided to knock it out of gear and do nothing, that you're going to have the same experience uh, in heaven as the Apostle Paul, you're sadly mistaken. That, that is not the case. The, the Apostle Paul says, look, I, I will receive the crown of righteousness, he said, because I have fought the fight, I have run the race, I've done everything that he asked me to do, and, and I've done everything I could possibly do. Even Yes, I still struggle with sin, but you know what? The grace that he afforded me will not be in vain. I'm not doing this to earn my salvation. I'm doing this in response of salvation, and I will receive the crown of righteousness from my Lord and Savior. And I guess we have to ask, will, will we? I mean, if we died right now, will we? And some of you may say, look, as long as I get in, I don't care. Well, I will say that getting in is better than, than, than eternal damnation. I will give you that. But again, be careful because that's a dangerous theology. You're not trying to earn your salvation, but, uh, but rewards in heaven, it, it, it's a real deal. And, and he says, even on the day, there'll be some people that will still be saved, but the way they treated the church will be revealed. And, uh, and he makes that very clear. Uh, so so verses, uh, verses 18. Well, let's look at 70 first. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Uh, that one's pretty straightforward. What he's talking about here, if anybody comes against the church, Remember what Jesus said. He said, oh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Remember, by the way, which is kind of cool, and I was taught this by a friend, a gate is a defensive mechanism. It's not offensive. So you know what Jesus is saying? That's the reason why the church has got to quit playing defense so much. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I take my church and I'll knock down the gates of hell and deliver people out of it. The gates of hell will not stand. So we look at that like, oh, no, 
the gates of hell are coming after us. And we're in, and, and, and no, it's the gates of hell. Hell is trying to keep the church from moving forward. That's who's put the gate up. God didn't put the gate up. The, the gate's been put up by the adversary. And he says, hey, my church, we're knocking that down. We're going forward. We're advancing the kingdom. And the gates of hell won't stop us. And um, y'all do know that Satan loses, right? 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in his age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world or life or death, are the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. He says, no one should defile God's temple by using cheap materials and bad theology. We must build according to the right plan, and that is God's plan, and I don't know, care how impressed you may be with some man's wisdom, and he says to God, this is just silliness. Don't you love watching people thinking they're so smart? And God's just like, he's laughing. I mean, the, the most brilliant thing we could ever come up with, God's laughing. It's nothing to him. So he says, why would you put your faith in the wisdom of those that can't even compare to the one who created them? As Steve Farrar said so beautifully, why are you impressed or why do you fear People that God had to allow to take their next breath. Compare that. Why are you afraid of this person? Why are you impressed with this person? God has to allow that person to breathe. He's the one we should be in awe of. He's the one we should be impressed with. And in verses 21 through 23, he said, we must build our lives and we must Build the church on the right motive. And this is what I'll close with. What is the right motive? He tells us. To the glory of God. To make much of God. Why do we make so much of ourselves and so much of people and we make so little of God? I really believe, and I've been there, that because of the way we worship each other and worship ourselves and worship human beings, I really believe that there's some celebrity out there that, that well, you see it. I mean, men will go out and read books written by coaches, athletes, actors, whatever it may be, but you can't get them to read the Bible. See, I know if I said, well, if God was appearing at the arena and speaking at a conference, a lot of people wouldn't go, but if some celebrity was there, you couldn't wait to get there. And, and you say, well, Rick, that's an exaggeration. Is it? I'll give you an example to show you that's not an exaggeration, and you'll, yeah, and you'll hate this. I know men, and I used to be this way, they will read a book written by some celebrity, some coach, some athlete, some very successful business person, some politician, but they won't read the Bible. And the Bible's written by God. <laughs> you think art of the deal is going to do you more good than the Bible? You, you, you think, uh, you know, whatever, this is how I won all these games is going to do you more than better than the Bible? You think here's how I turned a prophet is going to do you more than the Bible? Here's, how, here's the workout I do. Here's the diet I do. That's going to mean more than the Bible? It re it, can I just save you? It's not even close. This, this, is, this is all eternity right here. This is all that's going to last. I promise you when you get to heaven and if you and, and you're in your mansion, you will not walk in there, sit down with the great I am, and he goes, Let me tell you, I was really I was really impressed with that one author. I, I, I tell you, he really he really came up with some things I never thought of. It's all folly to him. And and we're just enamored with people. And we're not impressed with God. Well, and Paul reminds us that everything should be done to the glory of God. And he goes, and if you are redeemed by Jesus, 
the liberty that you should be celebrating every day is not the liberty that some people gave you. It's the liberty that Christ gave you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for these convicting words from the Apostle Paul. And, and, and what, you know what Paul's saying? These words didn't come from him. They came from you. The Apostle Paul means nothing if he's not representing you. None of us mean anything, Lord. The only thing good about us is you. And I thank you for the fact that you tolerate us as much as you do. You are very gracious, very merciful. You are long-suffering, and we are thankful for that. Will you continue, Lord, though, to grow us and, and, get, and convict us to leave spiritual infancy and consider growing in you to be of the utmost priority? Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.